everybody. It's Wayne with Mark and Areed, and we are so excited that you've come to watch the Eat Community Podcast. We know you're going to enjoy it. We actually did it live originally on our Eat Community webinar series, which we also invite you to come to, but you will love this podcast that you're going to be listening to right now. All right, everybody. Hello. We're getting started here. So we're officially recording. Um, Sierra here with the Eat community and Mark and Areeb in the background helping us out. Uh, and today we have Max as our guest speaker. And we're going to be talking about what he does with Food Forest and his background and what he's doing with his company um, or organization. So Max, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and your background? I saw that you moved to the U.S. when you were nine. So talk about what it was like, where you were living before you moved here, and then kind of your path that brought you down to what you're doing now. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I grew up between uh, – I was born in Uruguay. I grew up between Uruguay and um, in Argentina and a little bit but Brazil, because really our house in Uruguay is it's like 10 minutes from Brazil. So it was, which really, if you if you if you compare it in distance, all those are pretty close together. In in comparison to a, a big country like the states, where it would take much longer just to drive through this country, and you can you know drive through those, get from Argentina across Uruguay and, and get to Brazil, you know, in a much shorter time. Um, and then we moved up here just because of just opportunity. We have some family living up here and it just came up this way to the Chicago area where I lived and went to high school and all that. I think it was about 15 years I lived in the Chicago area in the suburbs mainly. And um, eventually I, through my twenties, I kind of just traveled around the world and um, I was a, I, it was a, student of alternative medicine for a little while, for about three and a half years until I started wanting to go more towards ecology. And I felt that from everything I was seeing in school, prevention was really in lifestyle and, and I wanted to learn more about growing food. And then I spent a lot of time just traveling and wolfing around the world, going to different farms and staying in different places, a lot of off-grid off places. And um, this was before I had even really learned what the word permaculture was or anything, but I was just staying in places where it was raw enough that you were doing everything along those means anyhow. Um, eventually, I um, was going to be a dad, and um, my wife and I moved up to the States, to South Florida, to have the baby. And that's where I, I, I started. That's where I ran into permaculture and some of the people that influenced me with that and started attending places like uh, Permaculture Miami, classes there and in different spots, and um, just landed a big job, really, working for um, – the Hormel family, like Hormel Foods, you know, mm -hmm. um, but much by the time I worked for them, it was much later on where um, Tom Hormel, which was one of the few kids left at the time, unfortunately, he passed years ago, but he was much older. And um, I got hired for, by him to basically property manage and uh, run their gardens and things like that. And um, it really bought me a lot of uh, a lot of time and availability you know, they, they were always very supportive of you studying and, and, and all that. And um, they bought a little farm, which eventually I, I went on to uh, design and run for them and um, did that for some years in South Florida. And then um, somebody had seen my work and offered me a gig up in uh, North Carolina, right near Asheville. It was a 25 acre farm. We came up and took a look at it and we really wanted to get out of Florida to raise our, well, at the time we just had one boy. We have a boy and a girl now, but um so we we took the challenge and moved up this way, and um, I developed and ran that farm. It was really really intense. We did a lot of building. Uh, there's a lot of pictures of that. Uh, uh, most of those pictures in the greenhouses, the treehouses, the pond. That's all in North Carolina, um, where we had the Highlanders and 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 goats and um, you know everything. We had a 3,600 foot greenhouse, uh, um, aquaponic systems. Um, natural pump system, sustainable, everything. It was really intense, that that spot. We did a lot of work. I ran some uh, PDCs from there and um, had different students. It's really my first experience with, with teaching with permaculture. Um, I guess I, I forgot to mention, along the way, I continued, you know, this is a 10-year span I'm talking about. 
in which I continued education all 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 along. Eventually, I was certified by Jeff Lawton and um, permaculture, and then I also studied at um, done a lot of classes at NC State for just agriculture classes, and um, of course, all the different studies and the things on my own that I'm inspired by. Um, so to get back to where I was after I left that farm in 2017. I was offered, I, I met another family here in Asheville and was offered a, a different type of gig. Um, so I got away from from the farm situation I was in. I took this job and, and since then, since 2017, I've been running a state in North Asheville. So we're basically in the city, but it's a 15 acre state. It's a very old property, it used to be a farm. Uh, we And um, we, we're not in production or anything. I, I run the state for them and I've got a lot of, you know, fruit trees and fruit systems and things that, that I do for myself and for fun. Um, but this is why I started running my side business, the Grow a Food Forest, in which basically I'm just planting small food forests for people. Um, I, I'm at a point where I can't take too many clients on because I can't get the work done because I've got a, you know, I got my full-time gig here, which is my salary. It's my bread and butter. They give me most of my, the farms I've worked at or just like this one always supply me a house. You know, I've been rent free for about 10 years and had the huge blessing of being able to raise my kids. Being a, a dad that's always at home, you know, um, I wouldn't trade it for the world. I think I've been really lucky. <laughs> one of the questions I get asked a lot is, how do you get these jobs? <laughs> and it's actually something that I've involved with. Um, I haven't been doing classes in a bit now, but when I did, I was involving that with my students, like having it. You know, towards the end of, of, of the PDC, having a, a a section where we went into like how they can get employed in the field, because so many people just, you know, go and pay a thousand dollars for the PDC and then just don't even really know how to plant a tree. You know, yep, so, that's what I was going to ask you is how are you marketing yourself to get these awesome jobs that you seem like you really love? Yeah, you know, um, I. It's hard to say because I feel that I've been really lucky in that way, but there is a milk market for this and they're there. There's a lot of people that have a lot of money that want these things done. You know, everybody I've worked with has been in one way or another a really wealthy family or really wealthy person, you know. Um, everything from really old money to very new money. You know, I've been I've had four main jobs that have provided me in these 10 years, and every single job that I've left, I've only left because the next opportunity that came was something that really benefited me and my family. Um, coming to this job, for example, opened opened me up because they were willing to pay for more of my education, and it gave me the time to. It's much less work than running a full farm, of course. So it gives me the time to also do this side business. It gives me the time to um, do my next move, which is purchasing land and and building my own. Um, um, perennial farm really which I want to use as a sample farm because these are the type of farms that I want to build for people um, and uh, you know once you have something really well built something that's a really well example it's much easier to 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 get people to you know put their time and investment into building it for them um, and that's kind of my long my long-term goal eventually but I don't know if I where I'm going here if I ignored your question but um, it, it I think it's really about finding the opportunity in these type of jobs and being able to capitalize on it um it doesn't always have to do with how much you know early on the people i was hiring were all people that knew more than me and i was hiring because i was the guy that had the budget that got the gig and had the budget you know and i was hiring people that were really good um people whom you know till today i'm in touch and they're still doing great work very smart people that i was able to basically learn from as i was going along I had to do it that way. I had to do it that way because I had, you know, I had a child born and I I was, you know, it, it was my situation was different than a lot of them. But I think it in, when it comes to prop managing people's farms or developing them or, or doing these type of jobs like I've been doing for 10 years, it you really have to. You you have to be able to show to people that you are trustworthy, you know, and that you're going to be able to perform and i think it's a combination of getting an opportunity being able to capitalize on it and mm -hmm. uh, have a good outcome because nobody's going to keep you employed if you don't have a good outcome in the end mm -hmm. uh, i think when it comes to these type of things too there's a lot in our, in the favor of, of of the person in the position like mine like you're dealing with nature a lot 
So there's a lot of things that have happened in the past 10 years, even environmentally, that are way out of my control, right? So there's a lot, and it and really depends too. I and you have to be really smart about the businesses, you know. At the old at the farm where I was at before, what I did economically was my approach was uh, Asheville is a place where it has it's a lot of ecotourism. So yeah. we built a bunch of rentals on the property, and that was oh, my money. Great. Yeah, I I ran the VRBO rentals along with the farm theme. They were rented year round, you know. By the time that I left, it was making really good money. Unfortunately, when I left, they 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 tried to change that business plan and focus on agriculture, and 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 they failed. And a year later, they sold the farm because it had it was starting to lose too much. Because it's you know, especially in the area where we're at, it's not even just about being able to grow something. It's really can you sell it? You know, can you market it? And mm -hmm. um, that's really where I think they probably went wrong because their staff was great. It wasn't, they didn't have trouble growing, you know, but um, so I think it's went back to like capitalizing. When I got to that place, I looked at it and I looked at the land and I knew I wasn't going to be able to make money, you know, enough money with, with, with the food systems or everything. But I knew that I could create those systems over, over time. I mean, I planted hundreds and hundreds of trees while I was there and um I knew that I could create those systems over time and use the invest use the money coming in from the rentals to keep pushing it along and, and, and keep you know giving me a better making me a better living too. Um yeah, and, and I think that's really what it's about. Very cool. So when you say when you were hiring people, so were you when you were doing farm management, were you like staffing your team yourself, just hiring whoever you needed to help you out as you went along? Yeah. Yeah. So depending on the circumstance, there's things that I always, you know, ask for, like no matter what, like I need, you know, a farm truck or I need a tractor or, and, and, you know, if either I buy a big machine or I hire five people, it's like one, you know, you have all these things that, that, that you need to do. So, yeah. So I, 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 I always went about it like that. Um, Cause otherwise you just can't perform when the time comes. Okay, cool. Yeah. That's awesome experience. So um, I think I might know a little bit about what you mentioned before, woofing, but maybe elaborate on that and explain to our audience what that was and what that experience yeah. was like. Yeah, WoofUSA is really neat. You can go on their WoofUSA.com and um, it, they have it set up worldwide. And basically it's a connection of all organic and different type of, you know, natural farming farm systems and farms, small farms, big farms. And um, you can basically travel the world doing it if you want. And you go and you work in exchange for stay and food, depending on the place that either give you, you know, full stay with full food or some will just give you some food, full stay. The, you know, everybody's got a different arrangement. Um, so I did that. I woofed and I went, you know, and had the experience. And then I was a host. So when I was at that farm, that was yeah. another thing. That yeah, when you're an hour up the mountain, you realize that you hiring people is very difficult. And then hiring people that are really going to work good is really difficult. Yeah. So I created, we built enough grid area. I mean, you know, luckily, I've, we had amazing carpenters and they were already on the land. So we built a whole off-grid area on solar. It's in the pictures and everything, I believe. Um, and it was able to house a lot of woofers. So we were able to keep staffed. You know, we we, we kept... I mean, the first year I had, it was like around over 80 kids that came in through the year, you know, eventually with time, I started realizing that that was too much. And what I needed to do is have more long-term offers, which really worked out because I learned that. And by the third year, having this, this volunteer program, I was able to just keep long-terms there. Sometimes some kids stayed a few years and until today, they're great friends of mine, you know. Um, and stayed and worked. And then I also started doing the PDCs where I really didn't like 72 hour courses. I didn't think they were beneficial for kids. I'd seen way too many people just fail from that. And I started doing it. So I'd said, hey, you know, come stay here for three months, you know, stay for the whole season and I'll teach you every day. And then we'll get down to it. And if you can present to me that you can design, that you understand all the basic principles and you can basically, you know, if you can present to me all the knowledge that, by the time they leave, they have way more knowledge than a 72-hour class, you know, yeah. and then they can present to me a design and I can certify them, you know. Um, I found that to be, and if I ever go back to that, I think I want to stick to something like that. I just think it's way more beneficial. Um, 
Are you saying PV, PVC, PEC? PVC, so permaculture design course. Okay, so what kind of educational background did you have to go through or certifications did you have to get before you were able to certify others in doing that work? Yeah, I was certified in uh, permaculture and um, that was really, the way it works usually is if you're a new student and you get certified in permaculture and you haven't been working that long in the field, you can also get a teacher certification will really help you, you know, present yourself as a teacher. I had taught before, um, out of high school, I had taught a music literacy class, you know, at, a, at an optional school for a while. And um, and and I like that experience with, with, with teaching. I always felt comfortable. So um, I was never certified as a teacher, but you're able to to certify other people. If, if you've been doing it long enough and you've got enough to show and you can present a good class, you're able to certify people. Um, and I, I was certified, um, you know, many years back by um, under under the teaching of Jeff Lawton, which is probably one of the most famous and most legit um, programs for for permaculture that you can really reach out to. Cool. Which I, I recommend to anybody anybody that wants to get certified in permaculture. I think that. Reaching out to 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 Jeff Lawton's team is a really good place to go for it, even if you're doing it long distance. I mean, their their staff and and their online uh, teaching and everything is really better than than university level, you know, online education. It's quite up there. It's quite impressive. That's great. So it sounds like he that maybe he's one of your biggest influencers on this road that you decided to take. Oh gosh, maybe yeah. I don't know. There's so many, you know. There's so many great, you know, scientists and 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 so many great professors out there doing their thing. It's hard to say. But yeah, Lawton is definitely as far as you know. I I think after Bill Mollison, he's been kind of been like, you know, he carried that torch and he's kind of been the biggest thing in in, in as far as like pop pop culture goes for permaculture. <laughs> That's just so great that you were able to have so many amazing experiences during your time woofing, like you said, in your 20s, and then you were able to give back again and do that and, you know, teach others, and that's so cool. Um, yeah. what, what were some of your favorite places that you were? I know you said you traveled around the world. Like, where did you learn the most, and what were some of your favorite landscapes and things that you've been a part of along the way? Yeah, I think I've been to maybe like 20 countries, which is really not that much when when you look at it, but um, my favorite place where I stayed, where I lived the most natural, was um, was in a in Venez a Venezuelan jungle near the Amazon, where uh, we were up the mountain, pretty high up, and just um, fully living off the land. We purchased very little things outside of that, and I was we grew mainly uh, banana and plantain, which we sold. You know, and we would buy like rice and, and pasta and things like that. But it was um, the time that I spent there was the longest that I've lived, I think, 100 percent natural to in the sense that like. We drank from the from the river that ran by us and we carry the water every day. We cooked outside with firewood that we chopped everything we grew outside of those very few things like maybe flour for bread and like rice and pasta. I don't think we really bought anything else because. I was at a place where there was really um, um, there was really no no like partying, no drinking. It was very you know, it was very different. Um, but I think that was the longest the place where it impressed me the most. You know, I mean the the swimming hole where we would bathe was like a you know out of a movie waterfall swimming hole that was basically to us wow. all the time. And yeah, the whole experience. I remember just just getting so healthy while I was there, you know, like any issue that I would have had from living in the States, like everything gone, just really. And, and of course you're just drinking water every day, you know, um, mango, it was a mango forest. So literally I was there, but for the three months that I was there, mangoes did not stop falling from the trees. So it was like, you made mango jelly, you made mango juice, you ate mango all day. <laughs> I think that was probably my, my favorite place um but everywhere it's been really nice i really love it back home in uruguay you know um it's a very different place it's got a beautiful uh climate for for a lot of different things and um out of it's funny because it's a tiny place i you know i was born there and then i was i left and i've been all over the world but i always 
if I could choose one place to go back to, that's it, you know? <laughs> Do you visit with your family frequently? Do you still have yeah. like some pretty heavy roots there in that area? Yeah, COVID put a damper on that, but um, yeah. we're trying to, this year we'll get back there. But yeah, we try to go at least, we were trying to go every three years. Now that got pushed back. Um, yeah. But yeah, my, my dad lives in, in our family house, which my grandpa built, you know, and um, my mom, my, my, my parents went their own way, but my mom, she's a, a, a teacher in the capital. My dad lives, you know, on the country uh, right near the Brazilian border, um, which is where I like to be when I go out there. So it's definitely the plan in my, when, when I'm older, I'm definitely going to spend, you know, the winters down there. It's opposite seasons, so it's perfect. Yeah. So you were inspired while you were doing alternative medicine to kind of take this route of exploring preventative measures with food and nutrients and stuff. Just expand a little bit more on that, if you would, and tell us, like, what kind of got your mind shift to think, start thinking the way that you're thinking now um, about, you know, like the alternative stuff and preventative measures, as you had mentioned, in terms of health and just the health concepts overall. Yeah, that's an awesome question. Um, I um, I was basically sitting in my Chinese medicine professor's office, and I remember sitting there, and um, I was really into Chinese medicine at the time. I had spent time in Asia prior to all this, and it's where I got the inspiration from uh, acupuncture and Chinese medicine, some things that I did at a school out there. So when I came back to the States, I, I, I got into this university, and I was doing this, and I'm sitting in my, in my uh, you know, about three years in, I'm sitting in my professor's office and I'm watching people come in. I was kind of, we became close. He was really nice. He said, yeah, you can, you can come in and, and you know, and see how we work and stuff. Um, and I'd, I'd seen him there, so I had an idea. But anyways, I'm sitting there and, and, and I really realized, you know, not just from sitting there, but also from everything that was going on in school. Because when you're in alternative medicine, you study a lot of nutrition and you have access to a lot of the, the latest studies coming out, you know. And you know you've you've you're able to to log into these computers where where all this data is being pulled up, and you're able to just go through it, go through it. And I would just just sit there and look stuff up, and you know for the, you know writing different papers or just from my own knowledge doing things. And um, it was it was very evident that the problem was in health and lifestyle, and ecology was a huge huge part of it. And mm -hmm. um, I had always been been you know, hugely into the forest. I've always liked to spend a lot of time in the forest. And, you know, I, from very young, I would, I would always tell myself if I could ever work and you I mean, make a living in such a way I would. Um, my, my passion for just health and, and lifestyle in general led me to the alternative medicine. And then in that process there, it was where I realized that like, I wanted to be truly on the side of prevention. And in order to do that, I needed to go on the side of ecology. I needed to learn you know how to grow food how to how to basically create living systems that would be in harmony with nature since this is really where the catapults of disease is coming from um and that was that was what i did um honestly i didn't think it was going to be able to happen my family you know i remember them telling me like when my kid was born like you you you're not gonna be able to make a living doing this you know and i'll be able to raise a family doing this and um you know i mean i'm not I was very lucky. I was very lucky. I was very blessed. Um, but I think anybody can do it. You know, I think anybody can. Um, it happens all the time. Very cool. Yeah, it's like when you think about it and you start going down the ladder, you're like, okay, human health, what comes to mind? Food, and then what comes to mind? Food production, and then what comes to mind? Soil. So it's almost like throughout this web, of the ecosystem and ecology, just as you stated, like human health really does go all the way back to the soil. It does, it does. And, and you know, when I'm, when I'm watching patients come into an office, I'm observing the patients and I'm looking and I'm seeing like this person probably would have never been here or at least would have been here for something less severe um, if they had first a while ago spoken with a nutritionalist or a trainer you know or had been educated on you know properly what they should be eating so it, it was a matter of we can be avoiding the medical system earlier on and that's mm -hmm. what i wanted to be you know um i i love i think the medical system is great i think both western medicine and 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 the sides of alternative medicine i think i think that both extremes of them are not well but i think when they meet in the middle it's perfect you know um 
and I even feel the same the same way about agriculture. You know, my studies in university are are very standard agriculture studies. You know, and I get along with those professors just as much as I do with my permaculture professors. You know, because those guys by now also know what's going on, and and you know, the, the, we're locked up in policy. We're not locked up in information. We don't lack professors on any level that know what should be going on and i know because i talk to him all the time we what we lack is 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 policy that's locked up it's politics it's not really it's a really weird place where we're at with that but that's a whole nother subject right yes definitely it sure is a weird place i will agree with you on that <laughs> so just want to take a second here and say to our viewers you guys put your questions in below and then we will get them answered for you from Max. So I know a lot of our viewers are heavily involved in some of the same work that you are. Um, so you guys don't miss out your opportunity. These are why we do these live webinars. So you can, you know, ask your questions, talk if you want. If you want to get on and ask a question, raise your hand. If you want to type in one and I'll ask it for you and we can get it answered that way. That's cool too. Um, but just don't miss the opportunity. That's why it's here guys. So before I go on, I wanted to go, well, I'll start here. Let's um, tell me about when you first started Grow a Food Forest, and then is this like a company? Is this an organization? Tell me about what your role is there. And I know you said that you have a few clients because you don't want to get overgrown where you're not able to um, you know, manage what you're doing full time at the farm as well. So just tell us a little bit about this, and then Ari will be showing the website in the background. Yeah, so Grow a Food Forest, um, I was, I, I'd always been doing side jobs like this for people. Um, and so I just, being at this place where I have a little bit more time to, to focus on things like this, uh, I started putting a little more energy into it. And, um, and I got a website up because, and it really, it really worked. I got a website up because I figured that it would get, get me more work or get me more of the jobs that I wanted, the bigger jobs, you know? Um, yeah, your website looks great. Did you do that yourself? I had my brother do it for me. And really we were kind of, I kind of left it there. We were, we were to do a lot more work to it. Um, but it is, since it is my side gig, I left it as is just to have something there. And I get a lot of people reaching out to me from it in the area. I guess it's one of those, when you Google me in this area, it's like the first one that pops up. So when people look at anything with food forest, they're calling me, and um, and it's nice. I've been getting the reason for why I can't stack a lot of clients is because I'm working in a way where I have the clients for a long period of time. Mm -hmm. You know, like not only will I plant their food forest, but I'm also kind of maintenance it over time and I'm going to educate them on it and I'm going to come back to it. You know, so if I take on a client like that, it's basically at least a five year client mm -hmm. that I'm taking. And that's how long it'll take to start establishing it, to start establishing them, because most of them don't have that much education on it. But it's a great thing to do, especially for people that don't want to do agriculture 100% of the time. And these perennial systems, they don't have to do agriculture. You know, it's not as demanding, right? And and, and especially establishing it um, with me, having me do the labor, they don't really have to do much. And they do learn a lot in the process. And at any point that they want to, they can take it over. Um, but a lot of them just really just let them kind of just grow wild and use it for themselves, not really looking for production, you know. Um, but I am really interested in doing more of the production systems in the future, for sure. Okay. But I, run it, I run it myself. I've got um, some people that will work with me. They, they work with me on this property, too. Um, so when I have, you know, when I, if I'm going to go in and plant 100 trees or something, then we'll bring a machine and we'll bring a few people. Um, but most of it, unless it's a lot, I do it myself. Maybe one other guy, you know, we can get a lot done. We can come in and, you know, sometimes just like if it's just like 40, 50 trees, 60 trees, I can go in and plant them myself, you know, if I'm not planting very big trees. Um, yeah, it, it's not. It's really just just I try to use to use techniques where I'm I'm really using. You know, um, I'm really just working with nature and, and I've experienced being in this area for a little bit i've been able to explore a lot with being in the situations that i'm in i've been able to explore around with the different ground covers um the different um you know nitrogen fixers the ones that are most efficient and just been really able to play and kind of find like my favorite things to work with to where i can really just 
get these get these systems going you know get everything growing get them in the ground get the soil really working um and then they just start doing a lot for themselves you know mm-hmm. it becomes managing and kind of choosing like oh they don't like this fruit they like that one all right well maybe we can graft something into this one and we can you know um it's really uh it's really fun it's not like it's not like farm production where you're under pressure you know i i do like i said meet a specific yield on each crop every time to make the bills meet yeah i'll deal with that with my systems and they won't even be to make the and you know like i'll always do a side thing for money it's just like when i was running that farm and i had the income coming from the rental houses uh, i have found that this is what i have to do in order for me to accomplish the things that i want to accomplish with agriculture because i'm not going to have the money and i'm not going to have the means in another way to do it you know um but you can get it done like that and if you do it right and and the right amount of time goes by you will be in business you know at the very least you'll have a nursery because those systems don't start produce stop producing once they're you know going strong so yeah i have to say i love your energy i love your confidence like even about the comment that you made earlier when we were talking about having your kids and your parents and getting some blowback about like, oh, you're not going to be able to keep doing this and afford all this. And then you're just being your true self and being like, well, this is what I love doing. So to heck with it. I'm making it work. This is what we're doing. And that's what our platform is all about is teaching people how to make money and making the planet better. So like you're, you're doing it. It's awesome. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, there's such this, the market for all this is just getting bigger. Yeah. It's just, you know and it's probably part of the reason for why i've been able to do this i mean it's 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 just going to keep blowing up look there's no ifs or buts about it like ecologically we're not heading in any other direction we're gonna have to we're gonna have to live differently and we're gonna have to need these knowledge and, and and these type of things like there's no doubt about it yeah absolutely all right i think i've uh got the audience to stop being shy a little bit we got some questions in thank you guys I love it. I love it when we have audience interactions. I want to see more. I'm like here with you guys. We're all doing this together. So let's have fun. Um, This is coming in. It says, I follow a healthy lifestyle, 90% whole plant diet, meditation, and moderate exercise. Why can't I get rid of high blood pressure? I follow, uh, what, what, what were the lifestyle steps? Yep, let me go back. I follow a healthy lifestyle, 90% whole plant diet, meditation, and moderate exercise. Why can't I get rid of high blood pressure? Hmm. Well, I think there could be a lot of reasons for why you can't get rid of uh, high blood pressure. You know, first, the first question that's always going to come to mind is going to be, is, is, you know, the first question that's really worth it is, is there something genetically that's, that's in the way? Is there a genetic trait? Is it something that runs in your family? Is it something, you know, always get that out of the way because if there is, then then your options are going to be different. Um, but also, you know, a, a, a plant diet, I'm not so sure anymore what that means anymore. You know, um, the, 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 the food that we get is so strange, you know, and the way that we get food. And um, I believe that, that, you know, eating protein is okay too. And I just think that it, that, the main thing with diet is is a non-processed diet. Um, blood pressure can also be too, you know, like uh, what else do you do? You know, uh, is there stimulants? Is there other things that um, that could be causing that? And, um, you know, is the exercise, is the level of exercise up to par where, where it should be? Um, yeah, I think that like, the 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 whole of the person is so wide that I would I would have to know so much more information if I were to you know mm-hmm. to really get you know but there's just some of the first things that come to mind. Well, thanks for sharing your thoughts there for us, Max. Um, have some more coming in. How do you keep squirrels and birds from devouring your fruit? If you don't mind sharing. <laughs> I don't. I don't. Okay. It's only a problem when you have. A system that's not diverse enough. Um, so, my the the system approach to any garden, to any to me has to be diversity is the only thing that's ever going to get you the proper ecology. Um, look, there's always going to be a loss to nature, you know, um, but that narrows as the 
um, diversity of the system gets bigger, the loss is narrow. And this is something that that I have found, you know. Um, there's really, a, there's a lot to learn. There's a lot we're learning about self-organizing systems, you know, watching watching a forest come back together, watching natural systems come back together. Uh, nature wants to grow. Nature wants to take off. Just like anything that we don't maintenance, right? Nature takes over it. Um, I think that a lot of times when it comes to growing food and especially perennial systems, I think we're just keeping these systems way too managed, you know, way not diverse enough, you know, too too neat, you know. Um, they have to be wilder systems, you know, and they and and the diversity not just plant wise, but you know, um, insects and animals and everything. So I want the squirrels, I want the birds, you know, I want yeah. everything to be there. If 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 there's a, if there's ever like a a, a huge huge problem it's because something in the system is wrong it's not that squirrels fault or the birds floor fault if you if you have anything going on in your food system it's because there's something in the system that's not right you know there's not enough of a it you you have to have you have to be able to take a hit you know like your 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 growing system like should be like a sponge like like nothing should like be like a drastic impact you know anything that's a drastic impact in nature it's um it's either going to be very temporary or it's 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 like um like a like a big mishap you know like an earthquake let's say or like a storm that comes through and takes everything up you know what i'm saying um but really everything as in a growing system everything else should just kind of like bounce off of it and like it slowly gets soaked in and and move around it there should be nothing that's causing like a drastic drastic thing and definitely not like squirrels or birds also you probably need more trees those, those birds can only eat so much <laughs> awesome questions here guys oh my gosh this is so fun keep them coming i love this so another great one here um, if you could go back and change one decision you made early in your career, what would you change? That's a good one. I probably, I don't, I would say that I might avoid the alternative medicine school because it put me in debt that I'm still in, but at the same time, it kind of brought me where I am. So I don't know, you know, money's money. I'll pay it off eventually and whatever. But yeah, I, <laughs> if anything, that would be it. Maybe start younger. Yeah, I had my, my, my kid at 30 and that's kind of when I started. Um, so yeah it's hard it's hard to say that in life right you can't take anything out you might not be where you are so yeah that is true all right another great one from the audience um what would your suggestions be regarding intervening at the policy level regarding our food system um at the sorry, policy I'm, level i can't see the whole question let's see okay let me restart sorry guys what would your suggestions be regarding intervening at the policy level regarding our food system i am i am encouraged that you say the regular agriculture professors being on the same page thank you for your comments yeah uh coming from my background when i when i started um at a place like nc state i figured that i was going to be like hitting a brick wall and i was wrong i actually have made friends with some of these professors that are now kind of mentors of mine, you know, and I found out that the truth is, is that like, like I said, like, there, it's inevitable that we have to change for doing things. It's not a secret anymore. It's not like a yeah. thing that was just from like organic growing or permaculture. It's something that's very obvious. And um, my professors, the, the few that I'm thinking about, were very excited about me working on perennial food systems and this kind of being my goal, you know, um, uh, but wait, 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 there was a, a thing to that question that I wanted to focus on. Oh, the policy. Yeah. Yeah. But as the far as the, level. the policy is bought out, the policy can't change. So like my professor will sit with me and I'll say to him, well, look, like, why, why are, why are we doing this when we know it's not good, when we know it's not good for the soil, right? Like I'll give you an example with growing corn, for example, you know, like corn could be grown differently. And some people do, you know, there's some guys that grow corn in the corn belt in the U.S. that have the best harvests and have the deepest soil 
because they've always given a certain amount of their crop back to the ground. They focus on organic matter. They focus on the same things that, you know, that the forest does that naturally just any system does and they're very successful. But the reason most guys won't do that is because, you know, technology has a lot to do with it. We had the machinery now where you can get uh, three economical benefits from a crop instead of one. And, but what you're doing in the process is you're taking a lot of those things that would normally continue to play a role in nature. So now you're taking the full plant out. You're, you're taking from the soil over and over and over. So technology has, has a lot to do with this, but the policy is what's there that allows it to do this. The policy is what should not allow people to farm a certain way, you know, but it's all, you know, it's all politics. It's all bought out to a certain degree. It's very hard to get in there. Like, you know, they, they'll teach you at a university that like, yeah, we shouldn't be using half of these fertilizers. And then you say, well, professor, why are we? Well, because the policy is blocking it. <laughs> so there's a lot there. I think it's pretty deep because we're talking about a lot of very, very powerful companies. It's a lot of money. You a know? lot of and money. Yeah. That's it. Power and money down to. And it's no different than medicinal field. It's no, they're, they're all, everything is very, everything about the systems that maintain human life all have the same problem. And it's basically all just greed. It really is. So all we can really do is just try to focus on the small things that we can do to impact on, a, you know, the best scale think, that we can, I guess. I think that we feel a lot more helpless than we are. I think that people can really do a lot more than they do by simply behaving with their investments from 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 as little as going to the grocery store as big as like you know anything you do you could do ecologically if you're a mechanic mm -hmm. no matter what you are no matter what you do you can take an ecological approach to it mm -hmm. and Take an approach that's going to be much more beneficial for yourselves and everything around you um and the way we spend if 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 we all you know if we all decided to not go to work for a week what would that do to the economy we have the power but we don't think we do that we, yeah that's true because, yeah but we're, we're not told that it's it's you know i think to 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 the people in control that's a dangerous thing but it really shouldn't be because we we are the ones that have the power but it just doesn't end up happening, right? Day-to-day -day life takes over. If you have a family, if you're trying to feed your kids, if you're trying to do that, like I've been very lucky, I've been very blessed. So I'm not I'm not here to talk and look down on anybody. I've got friends that they do what they have to do for work and they know that what they're doing is not that good, but they don't have an education. Maybe they're immigrants, maybe they're, you know, they have to put food on the table. And and at the end of the day, it's a combination of, of, of there's people that have a lot of power. But what are those mm -hmm. people doing? You know, there's people who have a lot of power, but what are they doing? Um, so I I've I've been working for for a very, you know, almost everybody I've worked for has been pretty powerful. And they're hiring me to do a clean job for a reason, you know, and I respect that a lot from them. I think it's a it's an amazing thing. Um I don't know if that answers the question. Yeah. So I want to ask one of my questions and then I'll jump back into your guys' questions. Um, but so Max, it was a few months ago when I was doing a, another webinar and it pretty much occurred to me for the first time that the way that the food was grown had a huge impact on the nutrient density in the food itself. I That was like, that blew my mind. I couldn't believe it. I was thinking like, if we could just tell people about this, you know, then they think that, you know, one carrot is the same as all of them, when really the growth process and all of that has a lot to do with the nutrient density. What do you think it will, it would take to bring that knowledge to the forefront and kind of get everybody on the same page to realize that even if it's just like going into Kroger and you're like, oh, well, here's like a partially nutrient carrot and here's a one that's really good for you. Like, what do you think it's going to take to get that knowledge out there and to get people to start realizing that the importance of where their food comes from really does make a difference? Like one apple isn't the same as all the apples. Right. That's a, that's all education, right? I mean, yeah. it, it's, it's all education. I think the earliest we can get 
education out there. Um, education inspires. When you learn something, you're inspired. You know, that's the only way to get inspired, right? You learn mm -hmm. something, or something happens, and it opens, whether it's a perceptional shift or whether it's like a, a something you actually read and learn one way or the other, you acquire something that inspires you. It opens you up. Um, and that that's like half the battle when you're doing classes, you know, or else the kids just sit there looking at you like, you know, I've, I've, I've brought great teachers on that, you know, have a difficult lingo to follow. Students don't like it. It's, it's too much for them, right? They're not being inspired enough. Like they're being thrown scientific name after scientific name. You know, the kid just wants to know, <laughs> you yeah. know, there are things that open them up and then you can throw hard information in there. I think it's the same thing for the public. I think, but, but you know, on, on a mainstream, who's doing this? Who's pushing this policy? Politics aren't pushing this, you know, um, you know, schools, I like, depends. I think my kids, for example, they, they attend a, uh, a charter school who, who has a, that have a, a very uh, uh, ecological theme, you know, so they get to hear a lot of this stuff early on from, from kindergarten on, you know, they're already getting it in their heads, you know, but when I was a kid, I didn't get any of that. I was, I grew up eating whatever, you know, and that my parents just didn't know they weren't getting the info either. Anyone in my generation, you know, mm -hmm. grew up like that. So I think that, that we, we have to continue to find different ways to get education out there. And this is where, this is where social media can actually make a positive impact as much negative stuff that can come out of social media. I think education and inspiration is actually one of the brightest things, you know, I talk to people all the time. People will reach out to me on, 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 uh, on my social media or where they meet me somewhere and then just write to me or send me a text. And, you know, I try to, People get excited, you know, oh, I'm going to get this tree. And then, you know, I, I honestly, on my side business, I end up doing a lot of free work because I end up doing a lot of free consulting because I, I just want to get people given that inspiration, you know. Man, I can't believe we're almost out of time and I have so many questions I still want to ask you. <laughs> I swear, sometimes I feel like I just want to go to my local grocery stores and like put flyers all over the place and be like, do you know what's in this food? Yeah. And even being where I'm at, like, you know, the middle between Cincinnati and Dayton, Ohio, like pretty much just a small little town, not much happening around here, like is that there is like, I'm sure in Asheville, North Carolina, like where you are, where there's a bigger understanding for these kind of things. Um, but just a quick little story, and then we'll get back to the audience questions here. But at some point over the summer, I even like was contacting my local grocery stores and asking them, like, do you know where your produce comes from? Like, I'm looking to taking a more healthy route for my, you know, just my own personal lifestyle choices. Like, I'm starting to get more interested in where my food source is coming from. Like, can you tell me where the produce is coming from? Nobody could. None of the none of the produce managers, nobody in the big stores, like, had a clue. They couldn't tell me anything. I thought that was almost scary. Yeah, yeah. It's like asking a nurse what's in the medicine they're giving you. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's a big divide. There's a big divide. Um, there is. You know. All right. Another question. Uh, what advice would you give to someone applying for their first job in sustainable agriculture? Good one. I would say that you, um, that you, to start off in something like that, um, you're going to have to work hard and probably just make some compromises for a little bit, you know? Um, and the main, main, main thing is just, you know, be patient. And when you get a good opportunity, capitalize on it, you know, pay attention, learn a lot. You know, I, I tell my students all the time, you don't need to be, have a high IQ for this. You don't need to be the smartest person in the world. You know, you don't need to be any of that. It's all about like, observation and reaction it's observing and reacting observing and reacting and um, of course there's an informative side to it but it's really just about the hands-on get the hands-on you want to do this get the hands-on i know guys that are can can destroy me in book knowledge but they just have never really been hands-on you know so they can't be as successful because there's a lot that comes with with the hands-on aspect of it Awesome answer. Thank you for that. 
Um, got another one coming in for you. Wow, I'm gonna have to like reward these guys because okay. we never get this much. We never get this much interaction. So whoever's on today, I want you guys on all of the webinars because you guys yeah. are doing great on <laughs> on these questions. So if you register today, just go ahead and register for all of them because I'm loving it. <laughs> uh, it says studies say that conventional produce has the same nutrition as organic other than pesticides. Is that true or is it industry sponsored propaganda? No, there is there is some truth to that. Um, I've seen, I've looked at different type of meters and systems to measure food density and things. I've tried some out myself. There's different things to that um, because there's different aspects of like the way a plant gets nutrients that de determ determines like the food density, even like how the climate was while that plant grew and things like that. You know, um, I think that what is more to focus on when it comes to the food that we eat is as long as it's being grown in a regenerative system, in a system that is not negative to the environment, a system that is positive, and by positive I mean it's 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 adding to the regeneration, you know, to the basically if if you were just to leave a field alone for 10 years, it's gonna behave a certain way. You can use managing prospects to achieve those 10 years in three or four or five, depending on how good you are, right? So like we have to use these systems where they're not having a negative effect on the earth. And I think that if we could accomplish these type of systems on a large scale, it'll get rid of so many issues that we have health-wise because it'll get so many issues, environmental issues. And like, this happens a lot there, with the meat-eating argument. It happens a lot, you know, but there's different ways to use animals in a very beneficial way for the environment. Um, and there's a way to consume proteins in a very beneficial way for your health too, but it all it all comes down to the same thing. Is it creating a positive in an environment or is it creating a negative? You know, this is what 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 makes us, this is what puts us here. This is the one thing that we cannot exist without. Um, we have created these systems that are energetic, the entropy on them is backwards. They're energetically backward systems. So basically what happens is at this point, Whatever crop we're growing, it does not have enough energetic output to make up for the amount of energy that was wasted putting into it to grow it. It's actually okay. taking a lot of energy to grow something that can put less energy out. So these are, this is the result of one element systems. Like they're very, very wrong. They're very unnatural. Nothing in nature works this way. And I think that a lot of times we get concerned with like the nutrition of things and everything. And But first, I think we need to look at What's happening when it's growing? What is it doing to the environment? And once we can start solving those things, then we can worry more about like, okay, how can we, now that we have this technology, how can we make that food more dense? Because if there's no, I say that because there's no point of making, uh, you know, I've seen some of these uh, aqua, uh, like, uh, not aquaponic or hydroponic systems that can grow these food. And this is why I say this, that I've seen some results where they're very dense. But if you were to use those systems to grow food for everybody, it would probably end up being a lot of damage, you know? Um, so. Well, cool response. Thank you for that. I hadn't thought about that before, but I guess you're, you know, that is something new, interesting to think about. We have a few people here that are raising their hands. They want to jump on with us and ask a question. So Mark, I'm going to unmute you and you can go ahead and ask your question. Um, let's see. Uh, Mark like Marie, can you guys help me out uh, to try to get Mark Kramer on here to ask his question? Let's see. Okay, let me work on that. And then um, we have Mina. we Mina have Mina is, here too yeah. that wants to ask. So, um, Mina, are you on? Can you talk right now? Why don't you just give us a hello and let us know if we can hear you? As you're unmuted and your microphone's green, but I'm not hearing you. Yeah. Right, and some yeah. people are muted. So if you are self-muted, you need to unmute yourself. Otherwise, it won't work for um, from our our end. Yeah, I'm Mark. trying to unmute Mark, but that is not working. 
Mark, it says you're self-muted. So if you can navigate to the microphone icon and select it to where it is green, you'll be able to ask your question to Max. Okay, that is not working. <laughs> All righty. Well, sorry about that, guys, but you can still type it in and I can ask and get it answered for you. That's still an option here. Man, I hate that. We'll need to figure out what's going on because I really want them to be able to get on with us and ask questions. Um, okay, so one unanswered question that we haven't touched on yet uh, before we wrap up. Are there weeds, invasives, or just organic material for the garden? I think this question stemmed back when you were talking about the diversity and the birds and the squirrels. So I think I missed that one back then when we were having that conversation. But they're asking, are there weeds and invasives or just organic material for gardens? Yeah, so it's a great question. Um, I don't think I would say that the majority of plants you're going to encounter are not necessarily invasive. It doesn't mean that they can't be. Um, so like an invasive plant is really a very successful plant. It's a very aggressive plant. It's it's funny because if you're going to look at the plant world and compare it to humans, an invasive plant is the plant that's the most similar to to human behavior on the earth, you know. Um, so the 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 negativity around invasive plants is kind of funny because you know they're really they're, they're really no different from us um sure enough now in a growing system there's some things that like you know especially if you're trying to produce as much as you want diversity there's some things you might not want just like in your landscape outside your front door there's some things you might not want i think it's okay to control them there um but when we're moving on to like natural systems I don't think that invasives are, are, I think they can actually save us, you know, and I think that the only, the problem with it, the reason I've got botanist friends, then we have a lot of arguments on this. And I think the problem with it is that like, the way that an invasive, when it hits a natural system, the way that it naturally balances out of that system, it's, it takes a long time. So in a human lifespan, it seems abusive to us, but in the lifespan of the earth, it's nothing, you know? And it's natural. I mean, it, things have always moved around and there's some really good, um, really good books out there these days, really good, you know, scientists and writers that are that are doing amazing at demonstrating this. Um, Tom Wessels is somebody that comes to mind with me. The Myth of Progress is a great book for anybody that doesn't know about Tom. Um, he was a professor too. I, I actually reached out to him and have spoken with him. I wanted to take class with him and he wasn't teaching anymore by the time I reached out to him. He's got a bunch of books out and YouTube stuff. Tom uh, Wessels, W-E-S-S-E-L-S. -S -S. Um, he's amazing. It, you know, um, talks a lot, teaches a lot about um, self-regeneration and how all natural systems are self-regenerating systems and they will always self-regenerate. It goes really deep, but anyways, um, I guess that's my answer on that. Very cool. I'm checking to see if we have any more here. Was hoping that they would have a chance to type their question in. A lot of the weeds too, you know, a lot of the weeds in the gardens and, and all these things like they can all be used. They all have a use, you know, and they're all telling you something. That's it, it could go it, you can get pretty crazy with it once you really start paying attention and get into plant characteristics, like learn the characteristics of the plants that um, that mine different minerals, you know, or different, like plants that mine nitrogen that are very rich in nitrogen usually have a characteristic, right? Um, a deep root um, that breaks up the earth and goes deep for it. Um, every, every type of weed has a characteristic that it's doing something. It's for one, telling you something about your soil and second of all, if you know what it's doing, then you can also harvest it and, and use it. I'm going to go and try to unmute Mina. Let's see if that works. So you are muted, Mina. Uh, try to talk into your microphone. Um. I'm hearing talking. something, but 
Yeah. Well, it's not working. Okay. I think she wrote yeah. her question. So if we can just read out the question, that would be good night. Because she didn't wrote a question in the end. Okay, our last question before we get final thoughts here from Max. Um, I'm still muted by the organizer. Sorry, I don't know what's going on. I wish we could get you unmuted. Those studies are faulty and they are not measuring local food from local growers that are fresh picked. The organic food they measure is from big commercial organic studies. Rodell did a study decades ago how quickly nutrients leave after harvesting. That's very interesting. Yeah, totally. Yeah, totally yeah. true. That is. That's something that I hadn't thought about. Cool. Well, let me say this. This is the energy that I want for 2022 on these webinars all year long. This has been so fun. I love it. So hope I catch you guys on the next one. And Max, thank you so much for your time. It's been awesome. I literally could ask so many questions. Um, I might even get to you after this in an email or something because I had some personal questions about your compost tea that I didn't get to get to. <laughs> please do yeah let's keep yep. in touch thank you for yep. having me grateful. Yep. thank you so much it's been awesome have fun in north carolina thank you have a good one bye everybody hey everybody i bet you enjoyed that immensely that was one of our most amazing presentations here at the eat community please look forward to our next podcast in the very near future and we look forward to seeing you again on the Eat Community Podcast.